Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. So let's just get right into it. Uh, Today I want to talk about divine contentment. Say divine Divine. contentment. So Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, say that with me, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound wherever Uh, Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So a lot of times we see that plaque on the wall, you know, with the eagle or that guy rowing the boat, you know, and then I could do all things. But it's actually saying, yeah, all things, abounding and abasing. Right. And so we think we think of it as just like I can do anything that's in front of me. That's true, but it's also going through the valley. So contentment means freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety, and restlessness. It means peaceful satisfaction. So when he says the whatever state I am in, I'm free from worry, anxiety, and restlessness. Wow. Well, that's Paul. Well, we'll get into that, right? It means to be independent of external circumstances, meaning my external reality does not have the power to control my internal reality. Meaning whatever is going on around me, whatever I'm facing, it does not have the power to change my internal climate. I think that deserved an amen right there. All right. So it's it's talking about self-control. It's talking about self-governance. Meaning I have the power to control my inward being. Wow. I I preached like two weeks ago and there was a phrase that came up and it was, I got the power. Right? We got the power. So where does Paul's power come from? At the end it says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Amplified Version says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I love this thought because a fruit or a byproduct of the spirit or connection with the spirit is actually self-control. And we thought God wanted to control us. Actually, a fruit of being connected to him is that we control ourselves. So, and the crazy thing about it is the fruits that we get from the Holy Spirit or the fruit that we get from the Holy Spirit, it's something that we can't produce on our own strength. How many of you can manufacture the peace that passes all understanding? You can't because it's beyond your understanding. How many of you, it's easy to manufacture joy, uh, counting it all joy in the midst of trials? See, it's something that's above our ability. And so think about this. We're actually given a self-control that is above our ability. If you're having issues with controlling your internal climate, don't work harder at it. Press in. So a fruit is that direct reflection of connection. So no matter what situation Paul found himself in externally, he was able to rule, he was able to govern his internal through Christ who strengthened him. He was able to have peaceful satisfaction in the midst of external uncertainty. Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. What were we singing today? A well that never runs dry. Would you say that Christ's sufficiency is ample supply? Yeah, yeah. 
So no matter my external circumstance, my heart is able to remain content, free from worry, fear, and restlessness. I am able to rule myself through Christ who strengthens me. It's through his sufficiency. Notice that contentment was something that Paul had to learn. That statement right there says there's hope for me. There's hope for me. What did he say? For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Learned in the Greek means to learn by use and practice, to be in the habit of or accustomed to. So how do you have contentment no matter what's going on around you externally? You practice. You practice it by the work of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that this is a process of maturity, growth, and development in character through the work of the Holy Spirit. Since this is a work of the Holy Spirit, why do so many Christians struggle with realizing contentment, freedom from worry, anxiety, and fear? I believe it's an issue of positioning and intentionality. This means I posture myself to be a student of it. What did he say? For I have learned to be content whatever state I'm in. If we don't see this passage of scripture in full context, we miss that Paul, we miss that Paul explains the steps he took to learn contentment. Paul clearly marks out the steps that he took to walk in complete contentment. So he's actually revealing his posture. He's revealing his positioning. Remember, we're talking about intentionality, meaning I'm being deliberate in learning how to be content. And so uh, for the sake of time, that's in, this is right before he, so this is awesome. This is right before he says, I've learned. Okay, so for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but it's Philippians 4, 4 through 9. But I'll, I'll just go over it really quickly. If we don't see this passage in full context, we mix the cause and the effect. What is the effect? The effect is whatever state I'm in, I'm able to be content, free from worry, free from fear, free from anxiety. But what was the cause? And you see it right before it. So Paul instructs us to govern our internal reality. So what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. So how is it that I can be content in whatever situation I am? He says to rejoice in the Lord always. What does that mean? It means I will magnify. It's not like we're making God bigger. It's saying I'm putting my full attention on him no matter, no matter what state I'm in. It means to interact with those around you with gentleness. Can you believe that? <laughs> you're, you're telling me the way to be content is actually to interact with people around you with empathy. <laughs> you mean you can stir up strife within yourself by the way that you treat others. That's another sermon in itself, people. All right. So the more grace you give people to be imperfect, the freer you will be. Then it goes on to say, uh, in my words, fear nothing. Then, it, then he says about prayer, which is communication and supplication, which means a seeking or an asking or an inquiring. Then he goes on to say, be thankful let your requests be made known, casting your cares and being honest and being vulnerable, being real before him. Then Paul declares that the spirit of God will watch over, watch over and guard your heart and mind. Think about this. He's saying if you do these things, the spirit of God, the spirit of peace will actually watch over your soul for you. Think about that. We talk a lot, a lot here about guarding your heart and, and uh, uh, taking every thought captive and being good stewards of our soul and our heart. And that's important. But what Paul's saying here is he's telling us how to steward. But he's saying if you do this, 
Guess who's going to partner with you? The presence of peace. So, um, so Paul encourages us to do the same. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is teaching us how to steward God's presence so that we can experience the increased manifested presence of peace. Now, Paul isn't saying, if you do these things, God will be with you, because we know that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, right? But what is he saying? He's saying, if you do these things, you actually steward his presence where you actually have the manifestation of his presence over your soul. Does this make sense? Hey, I said it again. Does this make sense? All right. Only once so far. Hallelujah. There's been freedom and deliverance. All right. So how do we experience divine contentment? The first thing that we must do is we must co-labor with Christ. Philippians 4, 7, uh, and 9. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do... And the God of peace will be with you. So we're co-laboring. The easiest way or the simplest way I can uh, define co-laboring is his desire for and my faith too. Meaning, does God have a desire that we for us to be in peace? Yes, he does. So how do we co-labor with him? His desire for and my faith too. Does that make sense? Said it again. Hallelujah. All right. I'm just trying to rush through this. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is our mentality must be one of abundance. Okay, how can we be content in whatever state we're in? We must have a mentality that is one of abundance. Because the truth is, if you always feel, if Reuben gets blessed, then I'm missing out, you will never be content. Because you won't be able to rejoice in the blessing that he's had because you're like, well, now I'm out. There's not enough to go around. So abundant meaning means there is more than enough. There is ample supply. There uh, is sufficient supply. In the Amplified, it says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So true abundance is not the excess of possessions. True abundance is a person. Okay? So it's not what we possess that gives us abundance. It's who possesses us that ultimately provides us with true abundance. Our contentment is directly connected to our mentality or our mindset of abundance. You will never find rest with the beggar's mentality. Because you're always looking for your next. So today I want to talk about how do we establish a mentality of abundance? First and foremost, we must accept and believe that we are loved by a Father that is abundant in all good things. It comes down to that we have a Father that never runs out. He always has enough. He's always sufficient. And not only that, that he's good, And he wants to give you good things. So James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James clearly states that if it's good and it's perfect, perfect meaning wanting nothing necessary to completeness, it comes from above. So what is he saying? If it's good and it's perfect, then we know who signed it. It's from above. And then it goes on to say, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? It means it's sealed, meaning he does not change. Giving us a confident hope and assured expectation. James, this is what is so awesome. So it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. What does the verse before it say? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Wow. 
What is he saying? Do not be tricked into believing a lie about our father. Why is this important? Because a lot of the church will look at a negative situation and say, that's God's handiwork. And what does James say? Do not be deceived. Come on, guys. Man, I'm just feeling the presence of God right now. Actually, over my mind, like, I, I feel like this numbness on my mind, and I believe that God is, like, really shifting things over people's minds right now. Do not be deceived. Stop putting God's name on the things that the devil has brought. There is a lot of attention and value given to our ability to learn from pain, suffering, lack, and difficult situations. The truth is every situation we face has the power to shape us. I'm not denying that. What did I uh, talk on two weeks ago? That influence is always coming. We're always being influenced. So we need to watch over our hearts because it's always coming. So I'm not saying that pain and suffering and difficult situations don't have the power to shape you. I'm saying they actually do. But what I'm suggesting is if we're a part of a kingdom of a good father, does he use pain and suffering to teach us? The question we have to ask ourselves is, what are the lessons we want to shape us? Will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? I'm not, suge- like, I'm not saying, we have a good father. We will never experience pain. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we will never experience a wilderness period. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, will the lesson we learn be in the wilderness or in the solution, or the abundance of his grace. Does this, I almost said it, does this make sense? (laughs) Will the lesson be in the lack or the abundance? Have you ever experienced lack? Yes, we have. But how does the kingdom teach us? It teaches us with abundance. And so many times we get this false thinking about God because I've learned something in pain. Yeah, we can, pain can shape us. But what do we want, what do we really want to shape us? The kingdom or the enemy's signature? Will the lesson be in the pain or the restoration? This truth remains, God is able to reveal his goodness in any situation. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it would make sense if all good things work together for the good, right? But it says all things. It says all things. But we're not getting the benefit from the pain, we're getting the benefit from the healing. I'm trying to shift a mindset because I feel like we get in a place of my washer broke. What is God trying to say to me? (laughs) You know, I I, kind of spoke you know, with anger the other day, and now my washer breaks. I guess God's trying to teach me something. I'm saying that every good and perfect gift comes from above. What does he say right before that? Do not be deceived. Come on now. As believers, we just don't have abundance. We walk with the person of abundance. We walk with abundance. This is why Paul could boldly declare that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. Because Christ was empowering him. Think of empowerment in this way. How many of you can jump? Or just be like a Holy Ghost jump, you know, like hallelujah, right? You get a little, you jump. 
And let's say I could jump maybe, I don't know, a foot, I don't know what it is. But let's say I put the same amount of energy into jumping on a trampoline. That is what empowerment looks like. I'm still jumping, but I'm empowered to do it now. Do you guys see that? All right. Because Paul's ability was not dependent on, because Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's efficiency. Paul did not learn from the problem. He learned from the solution. So why was he able to be content in whatever situation he found himself in? Because he didn't learn from the problem, he learned from the solution. If you learn from the problem, you will need problems to learn. <laughs> Does this make sense? If you, okay, I said this the other week, you can have whatever you want. If you want problems to learn, hallelujah. But James says, do not be deceived. So his revelation did not come from being abased. It came from his understanding of God's abundance in every situation. His kingdom revelation came from the abundance that he had in Christ, not the circumstances of being abased. What are we giving access of influence? What is influencing us? Are we allowing the situation or the circumstance to influence us? Or are we allowing the spirit of God to breathe upon it? And that can be the thing that we learn. Uh, Layla is actually learning her uh, times tables right now. So uh, one thing I'll do is now that we're working on them, like I could just walk by her and be like two times seven. <laughs> and she's got to get it, right? So it could happen at any moment. Two times eight could fly out of nowhere. So she's got to be ready. But, but what I'm suggesting here is how do we measure her growth? How do we know that she's getting it? By how familiar she is with the solution. How do we measure growth? By her ability to connect with the solution. When our mindset is attached to the problem itself, our thinking will become cynical. Okay, if Layla could never figure out the solution, she would become frustrated. She would become discouraged. She would want to give up. Why? Because all the attention is on the problem. But guess what? When I can walk by and say two times four, she's like eight. That's right. It brings freedom. And excitement. Why? Because she's connected to the solution. So what is she really learning from? She's learning from the solution. Does this make sense? That, that was a perfect time to say that right there. So I just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Never done that in my life here, but boy. <laughs> All right. When our attention is on the problem rather than the solution, you begin to see the problem in everything because the lesson was in the problem. When you learn from lack, you'll see lack everywhere. Yeah. Well, that's how God teaches me, by pulling something from me. Something happens, oh, God must be doing something. Whose name is on it? Whose name is on it? You know, if pain shapes our thinking, we'll see pain in every opportunity. Hey, why don't you come over here? Oh, I don't know. I feel a little. If I do that, that looks similar to what I've experienced before. Are you guys seeing this? You know, this might be another chance to get hurt. Because I've actually learned from pain. I didn't learn from a solution. I didn't learn from abundance. The lesson was in the pain. The lesson was in the lack. The lesson was in the rejection. 
But when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. So guess what happens is when something, uh, pain happens or a hurt happens, you begin to see the promises of God in every situation. You begin, like Layla, seeing the solution, not the problem. You begin to see a solution for every situation. What does Paul say? I can do all things because I have sufficiency and the solution for all things. If we are always overwhelmed by problems, what does that reveal to us about how we see God? Now, that was tough. (laughs) But it was challenging to say, look at him. Look at him. Our attention has to be on the solution, not the problem. Why can we do all things? Because we have ample supply. Our storehouse is full. And then every situation or every problem that comes, two times seven, I have a solution. James 1.5, if any of you is deficient in wisdom. Let him ask of the giving of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproach or fault finding and it will be given to him. Wisdom it means a bunch of different things but this one really stuck out to me. It means the skill in the management of affairs. What is that actually saying? It's saying the solution If any of you lack the solution, ask, and he gives liberally. So when you really look at this scripture, like I don't have time to teach it, but if you look at this scripture verse uh, in in the fullness of it, what, what is actually being communicated is when you lack nothing, God gives you what you need to lack nothing. So on your way to lacking nothing, you lack nothing. Because he talks about lacking nothing earlier. So if you are deficient of wisdom, of a solution, ask. The lesson to be learned is not the lack, but the abundance. If we believe that God's method of teaching us is through lack, pain, suffering, we will believe we need to remain in a place of lack to receive the lesson. It's like we believe the lesson is in the experience of it, that the lesson is in the pain, the lesson is in the problem. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to kill or to steal and to kill and to destroy whose name is on it the thief the enemy and and what uh how does he sign it by stealing by killing and destroying i have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly remember what I said, how, how do we have abundant, abundant or divine contentment? The first thing was co-laboring. Proverbs 4, I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This verse is plainly stating that the tongue is powerful, and it's up to you where you will like to extend that power to. Because the tongue is neither good or evil, but it's powerful. I've got the power. Where are you extending power to? Are you extending power to death? 
or are you extending it to life? And then he says, those that love it will eat its fruit. Because sometimes you can get to a place where your soul's really jacked up and you love chaos. You love creating chaos. Come on. So what is the purpose of the, the tongue? I talk a lot about original design. What's its reason for function? Why was it created? Throughout scripture, we can see that the tongue is described as powerful. So that's its characteristic. But for what purpose? Why was it created to be powerful? I believe it was created to be powerful so that we can empower or to give life. Remember, what's the original design? Why was it, why was it actually created to actually breathe life or to empower to give life to something or someone? Empower means to extend authority or power to someone or something. Are you extending power to death? Are you extending authority to death? Do you realize that your tongue has the power to sustain dead things? Have you ever been in a place where you keep on rehearsing old offenses and it's just as powerful as the day it happened? Why is that? Because your tongue is giving power to dead things. Think of it in this way. There's the offense. And every time you don't speak life into your atmosphere, you're giving CPR to a dead thing. And you're breathing life into it. Say, stick around, stick around, stick around. What are we keeping alive with our tongue? Because what is the original design of the tongue? It's to be powerful, but power for what? To actually extend life or to sustain life. So do we, the, the question that we have to ask ourselves, do we want to extend the life of an offense? No. <laughs> do we want to extend the life of rejection? No. But like I said before, we have the power and we can have whatever we want. Jesus loves me, this I know. Amen. Jesus makes this definitive statement in John 10, 10. What does he say? The thief comes. This is, this is how he signs his work. Stealing, killing, and destroying. But I have come, this is how I sign my work, by life, and actually life more abundantly, more life than you can actually contain. Amen. So this is the fruit, this is what the fruit looks like when it comes from the enemy. This is what I have come to bring to you, and you will know it's from me by the type of fruit it produces. What fruit do we want to be empowering with our tongue? What are we sustaining the life of? I find a real disconnect between learning from lack and being adopted by a father that is abundant in all good things. I'm not suggesting that we won't experience difficulty or painful situations. What I am suggesting is that in the midst of those circumstances, we have a never-ending well of resources through Christ who strengthens us. If we believe the lesson is in the problem, we will be on the lookout for problems rather than always being on the lookout for Christ in every situation. Like if I learn from rejection, I will never be a witness because I will look and say, I can't talk to them because they're going to reject me. But if I look and say, oh, Christ is working over here. What's going on over here? Right? 
This is why Philippians 4, Paul makes the connection between our contentment, a peaceful satisfaction, and our eyes, what has our attention. In the midst of a problem, what is my tongue giving power to? In the midst of lack, what is my tongue giving power to? In the midst of pain, what is my tongue giving power to? But what does Paul tell us to do? What is the first thing that he says uh, when he extorts, uh, exhorts us to, uh, to have contentment? Rejoice in the Lord always. What is he saying? Put power, use the power of the tongue for your situation. And then he goes on to say, how about we uh, have empathy for one another in our communication? (laughs) Are we allowing the kingdom to shape us or the problem? If we are not aware, everything and anything will have the power to shape us. Remember how I said anything can shape us? You know, a lesson that pain likes to teach us is not to trust people. If we struggle with trusting, it's because we learned from pain. But his abundance of grace leads us to forgiveness and strength. Was the kingdom life lesson in the pain or the grace? What do we want to be learning from? A lesson that suffering likes to teach us is that it must be my fault that I'm experiencing this. Well, the washer broke. What did I do now, Jesus? But his abundance of love shows us that we have been called to abundant life that is free from condemnation. Was the kingdom life lesson in the suffering or the freedom to fully express the life promised to us in Christ? A lesson that lack, that lack likes to teach us is that you are responsible to meet all your needs by your own strength. But his abundant power within us teaches us that he is able to exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. Was the kingdom life lesson in the lack or was it in the exceeding abundance? I love what Bill Johnson says. Faith does not deny a problem's existence. It denies it's a place of influence. It denies it a place of influence. So I'm not saying that we won't experience difficulties or issues. I'm just saying it does not have the power to influence me. By faith, right? And faith is really seeing from heaven's perspective. So how do we actually remain content? How do we have divine contentment? It's actually when we see things going on around us, we actually look to heaven and say, what is heaven's perspective right now? Like a big, a big uh, bill comes in and you're like, and all the emotions come. How does heaven see this right now? Heaven's not freaking out right now. Okay, I think I'm good think I'm good. Remember, this is the type of attitude that Paul had to learn. He learned it from positioning and intentionality. He was deliberate in his actions. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, I have more, but I used up my quota the other time I preached. And so I got to put in the trust bank again so I can use it again. Um, Like I said, I have more, but I'm just trying to find where I can land the plane. Land the plane. A series. Oh, I like that. I like that. So he was supposed to preach this week, and then Tanel took it. Then he's supposed to preach next week, and now he's trying to give that again. So, all right. Um, 
Thank you, Father. Let me just end with this. Is it possible to feel spiritually dry? Yes. Okay. But we have a never-ending abundance, a never-ending well. So it is possible to feel spiritually dry. Is it possible to feel distance from the presence of God? Yes, but he's, he's there, right? All right. So I'm not suggesting that it's not possible to experience it. And there's, that's probably a sermon in itself because I believe that there's a bunch of, like, if we don't steward our soul, we can feel very spiritually dry. We can feel very distant from God by how we uh, steward our soul. So there's a bunch of different things, but so it's possible, but there's a solution for it, right? So just because it's possible doesn't make it biblical. What do, what, what, do I mean, what do I mean by that? That a spiritual drought or lack or separation is part of a planned journey in an effort to bring us closer to him. I could be stepping on a lot of the, theological toes right now because your, your well never runs dry, but he leads you in a place of lack to teach you and to bring you closer. I'm not saying that it's not possible. Okay, let me put it this way. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Okay. If we fail to follow, is it possible to feel distance? Um, I remember a story from Jen Johnson, and she was in worship, and she just, she couldn't feel the presence of God. It was like over a couple months. And to make a long story short, basically what God showed her, it was like, that is how you connected with me before, but this is where I am now. Okay. So is it possible to feel a distance? Yes, but I'm not saying it's biblical and that it's part of your journey because his sheep hear his voice and they follow. So if I follow, does this make sense? All right. It's true that the prodigal son experienced lack, right? He was eaten with the pigs. But on every occasion, the father taught his son through abundance, Hey, Dad, I'm not feeling you right now. I need, it, I want to think of you as if you're dead because I need my inheritance. Here, son, here's all of your inheritance. Nothing was held back. Was that abundance? So he goes on his way, right? And he's eating with the pigs. And he comes to his senses. And he comes back to the father. What does the father do? Throws a party, throws a feast. How did he teach the son? He gave him everything that was his. And when he came back after messing up, it was full abundance. So why did Jesus give parables? He, he gave them so that we could understand how the kingdom works. Okay, so how did the father teach his sons? By giving them their inheritance fully. Did they manage it well? No. Did the son experience lack and pain? Yes. But on every occasion, the father demonstrated his heart by abundance. John 10.10, 10, 
The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So it would be against his nature to lead us into lack. Okay, I'm silent right now, so the people listening to this are like, why is there this silent? But I'm making a face. The face is like, what? I have come to give you life and life more abundantly so it would be against his nature to lead us into lack. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second, wait a second. Didn't the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness, a place of lack? Okay, you guys are dismissed now. That's what you call a cliffhanger right there. All right. Oh, that should have came from you. That would have been funny. Next week. All right. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was led into the wilderness? My thought is he went where the enemy was to confront him. Notice where the enemy was a place of death, a place of lack, a place of isolation, a place of barrenness. So what did we, how did we start this journey? How can I be content in whatever situation I'm in? Are you guys seeing this? That whatever state I'm in, no matter what's happening around me, around me, say around me, I control my internal climate. So did Jesus's internal reality match his external circumstances? Meaning, he was in the wilderness, external, but was he a wilderness inside? Do you guys know that? Are you sure? Now, now you're really questioning it. Luke 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led into, by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. External reality? Internal. What was his internal reality? It was full. It was full. Luke 4, 3 through 4. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus' answer reveals to us what true abundance looks like. I may have not eaten, but I have been feasting on the word of God. Suggesting that to live a full, abundant life is to feed on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So how do we remain content having a peaceful satisfaction when things around us are chaotic? I feast on the word of God. Meaning, if there's lack around me, I'm stuffed inside. You know that feeling when you get back from Shady Maple? Uh, we are not sponsoring Shady Maple, or they are not sponsoring us. Actually, some we don't want to remember because they're like, why did I do this to myself? We're food drunk. That's what hell could be happening around us. But I'm full inside. But who does that? By what we feed on. Does this make sense? 
So this passage clearly shows us how to respond when we're confronted by lack, pain, difficulty, so that we can walk in the abundance provided for us in Christ. Be full of the Spirit and confront the enemy. But how do we confront the enemy? By the Word of God. But here's the thing. If we believe that it's part of God's nature to teach us from a place of lack, we won't have any power to confront the enemy. Why? Because, oh, this is what God's doing. How many of you are in the habit of resisting God? So if you can put a name on it and say, this is the enemy, guess what happens? You have power now. Basically, we're putting God's name on what the devil's doing. And why would you resist it if you believe it's from God? Let me just pray this over you. This is what Paul spoke over the Romans. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, bubbling over with hope and to overflow with confidence in his promises. Well, we just release that over this place right now. Lord, let us not be deceived. Lord, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, we just repent right now for putting your name on what the enemy was doing. And Lord, I just thank you that we learn and we grow from your abundance. Lord, I just release it over this body in Jesus' name. Amen.